Welcome back once again to Fine Beats and Cheese. It's the podcast that knows exactly what it's doing and also lives to eat, not eats to live because food is life, basically. I am Leslie Grace Streeter. I am a columnist for the Baltimore Banner, watching my sister do these goofy karate moves. I don't know what she's doing. Um, I'm also a podcaster, obviously, and a person who loves food more than food loves me. I am joined once again by my co-host. I'm Lynn Streeter Childress. I make theater for young audiences and for other people. And I am uh, going out on date night later today. And I'm already thinking of the mafungo that I am going to be eating. So enjoyable <laughs> already on my brain. Uh, we're joined as always by producer Sam. Again. <laughs> Again. Again. Okay, Thank I you, was Janet. totally going to sing the Janet Jackson again, but you beat me to it. I love it. <laughs> Heard from a friend today, and she said you weren't town. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, so we have a special Our guest. Our guest, he was, he was regretting this already. <laughs> Go ahead, Leslie. Introduce. Our guest is amazing. He's someone that I, I is very close to my heart, who I think is just smart and funny and just so forward in like the bridge between broadcast and print journalism and radio and just forward thinking and black stuff and just everything he's really amazing introduce yourself guest well hello beautiful mammals uh thank you for having me on it's a pleasure thank you so much great to see the two sisters in their element uh my name is woken brutus <laughs> Um, former Palm Beach Post colleague with Leslie. I am now with WLRN. Uh, WLRN is South Florida's NPR station. I'm the Palm Beach County reporter. I cover current affairs, local news, arts and culture. I'm also a guest host on their life and culture show called Sundial. I was a former uh, host of the South Florida Roundup, which was uh, their current affairs show. But yeah, so guest host for Sundial, Palm Beach County reporter. I do a lot of things. Yes, you do. And tell us what we are talking about today. Food and all of the weirdness surrounding food. Uh, I spent about four and a half years in South Korea. So I've had my fair share of unique types of food, delicacies, for example, uh, ranging from horse to live octopus, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I um, I wouldn't prefer I wouldn't refer myself. I don't think I'm a foodie. I just love food. I don't think okay. I have the sort of vocabulary to describe all of the taste mm -hmm. and nuances that comes with um, food. We, yeah, I should be ashamed, ashamed of myself, right, Leslie? No, it's no, it's not. It's not that at all. It's the opposite. It's that the foodie culture came up, and I think a lot of it was posers. I think a lot of it was people that were more interested in taking pictures of their food and Instagramming their food than enjoying their food. Mm. They were not necessarily people that were going to like get soulfully into a culture on the basis of the wondery of it and the discovery of it. It was, what can I put as a hashtag that gets me a moment on Instagram? So I think that your experience which predated some of this stuff, I think is much more organic because it was like, I'm here, what do I do? Um, Wilkin and I had gone back and forth about what we talk about. It's like, well, I don't know what, what to say. And we got on the food thing because there are people who dismiss food from other cultures. And I'm talking about Americans or Western people as you might, might say cheesy or weird. Weird is a subset of that, a subculture of that. And sure. to get people to say, even in this country, like if you put sugar or or savory things in your grits that's like <laughs> a divide you know so to talk about this culture of food not only as sustenance but as culture and of history and that it's only cheesy if you're stuck in a stupid way i think to your that the only thing that is right mm. is what you do pumpkin right. pie versus sweet potato pie <laughs> this is what oh i'm my saying gosh. I know. And yeah, um, what's a stovetop macaroni and cheese versus <laughs> baked mac and cheese. And then, yeah, totally. I was going to say real mac and cheese. Yes, I was showing my bias. And I don't even like mac and cheese. 
Well, I don't even like mac and cheese. But yeah, culturally, you understand its significance, though. You Absolutely. Yes, right, right. There, 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 is an, there is a subtext. There's an underlying um, social contract that is signed. And, that, and if you break that social contract, you're going to be mm-hmm. judged. Uh, what I also you found can't come back. You can't it. come back. It's ve- and it's very <laughs> difficult. To come. If you do break it, you need to break it and hold your guard. Like so, if I say I love pumpkin pie and sweet potato pie, and I know people are going to come after me, I'm ready for the smoke. I'm ready Take for it. it. Break well, it. Hey. What's so funny is so much though of what we like or don't like is about our own identities, right? And like I said, the stuff that we grew up with, I, I don't eat mac and cheese, but it was on every day, every holiday table my whole life because, you know, Black with people from the South, right? Yeah, um, that's our roots. But it's interesting, um, like you said, the stuff that we dismiss as being something else. Have you seen the show on Netflix? Um, uh, is it- um, High in the hall. Was it High on the Hog and also the Soul Food one, which may be on Hulu? Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to keep up with streaming. It's hard services. to keep up. So High on the Hog is in the second season. It's such a beautiful show. And it's it a guy who is a former sommelier. Um, and he's going, or basically it's about the, um, at what the, uh, African influence. Afri- right, African, and thank you, I can't talk, African influence of basically everything. In the yeah. first season, he did a lot of going um, around the world, but he's doing a lot now, the second season yes. of American stuff. He's in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and basically about how so many of the stuff, even the French stuff in New Orleans, they say has French roots, but it was the enslaved people who taught them those things, right? And so it's really um, reclaiming stuff. But the other show, I think it's on Hulu, it's like searching for soul food or something. Yeah. It's a Black woman who's a chef, but she's going to places around the country. Um, She's going to Appalachia. She's going Mm. to the South. It's like, it's all about finding cultures Native American cultures where the food, soul food is is usually what the food that was cheap, that was around, that really said something about the people. So with the white folks in Appalachia, it's squirrel, you know, mm-hmm. it's what was there. And it's a, it's, but, it, but it really though just speaks to the fact that we are more alike than we are different, different. because we all have this something even if my something is different than your something right. we get it we, we it. are an amalgamation of taste <laughs> uh, absolutely so I, I, Logan, yeah I, I was just gonna say you obviously your heritage in some part is haitian american so talk about tell me about some of the things that you grew up eating as a person of haitian heritage who was also american growing up in south florida and how that sort of influenced your the basis for where you went in food after that. Yeah, I was going to piggyback off what um, what Lynn was saying about uncovering the uh, lesser known stories surrounding food itself. And my parents were Haitian refugees. Uh, I have the stereotypical Haitian immigration story where my my uh, my mom and my dad actually met at a refugee camp. In Homestead, uh, Chrome Refugee Camp in in uh, Homestead, which is the southern part of right, Miami, we know. We know. and um, and so I was gonna piggyback off the historical context because there's a soup called soup jumu, which is basically pumpkin soup, mm-hmm. and we eat it once a year, January first, which is Haitian Independence Day, and oh. it was a soup that was reserved for slave owners. Mm. Uh, French slave owners. Um, and so when Haitians won their imp- independence, that 13-year resistance, uh, the soup became like a symbol of, of freedom and resistance. Yes. And so it's a traditional soup that we eat every year. Uh, and it's actually made out of uh, calabaza squash, which is native to the Caribbean. Uh, I guess it's another form of pumpkin, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but there's beef, there's celery, there's green cabbage, carrots, uh, mm-hmm. malanga. There's all sorts of different vegetables that are in this particular soup. And we eat it as a family 
we save a lot of it for friends. Uh, you know, it's almost like Thanksgiving where we we actually ask ourselves, uh, when is the last day that you can eat soup bujumu? <laughs> it's such an in, integral it. part of our of our lives on January first. I'd say from January first to the third, uh, mm -hmm. three days is max for me personally. Um, but yeah, it, it goes to show how much food is involved with our identities mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. the way in which we migrate as human beings. Uh, and for me, when I decided to move to South Korea in 2010, I wanted to see what was up with this country that was sandwiched between China and Japan. And in doing so, I knew prior to going that I was going to be met with different types of cuisine the smell would be completely different yeah. the spices and of course to leslie's point the history behind the food itself absolutely and what i also found fascinating is that their delicacies which we would refer to as delicacies as as westerners as foreigners there are also there are also other koreans within korea who would refer to certain dishes as delicacies as well because they themselves don't eat it Mm. Uh, and if you're an outsider, you assume all Koreans eat this delicacy, but there are Koreans in Korea who are like, hell no, I'm not eating that. <laughs> uh, and so the sort of geopolitical nuance of a country was very appealing to me as well. Well, it's so funny Absolutely. because I was going to say, it's so funny because if you say American food, right, we think that we are so... Um, spread out right you can be like oh american food like we don't all just eat burgers and fries and hot dogs and you know apple pie right but it's very easy for us like you said to assume that everyone in korea eats kimchi right and yeah. everybody eats all the stuff because we have um what's the word monotone what's the word leslie we've decided my exactly we decided yeah. it's a monoculture I'll go and you one step more than that, actually, mm. uh, because American cuisine is the cuisine of plenty. Mm. We don't have to be artistic. We don't have to be creative. We can just go find a pig and eat a pig. Mm. We don't have to go scrabble and make this unpalatable seafood tasty. Um, and I, I, I feel like there's a have and have not thing going on with American cuisine that we don't even recognize. So when we yes. start eating things that are of necessity more complicated more layered because you can't just go out and buy a slab of beef or whatever then we don't know what to do with it mm -hmm. that's a really good point sam and i i also found it interesting the way in which let's say pig for example is cooked in so many different ways that americans couldn't even imagine particularly like asian street food there's a, a street food called sundae mm. uh, it's a popular korean street food that is really considered a delicacy if you, again, aren't Korean and you're a foreigner <laughs> tasting it for the first time, but you're, if you're walking down the street in Jeju Island or Busan or Seoul, you know Sunday, And it's a blood sausage. And it's uh, basically pig intestine that is filled with pork, blood, uh, noodles, and white rice. <laughs> and it's marinated with, you know, salt, chili uh, powder, and other ingredients. And it tastes like a sausage. Uh, a bit more softer than the sausage, uh, and you really feel the 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 difference. You you I mean you you don't taste the blood. <laughs> My favorite word is moist. It's more moist oh, yeah. than sausage. <laughs> it's that more, is a it's, polarizing it's, word. That's a it's, polarizing I word. love polarizing words. It's Oy. way more moist than a than a regular sausage. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 called a blood sausage, and it's. A part of everyday life in Korea, but Koreans don't consider that a delicacy. But they may consider live raw octopus a delicacy, or horse meat, or mm. skate fish, which has this ammonia smell because skate fish pee through their skin. You know, no, that uric acid goes through the skin. Um, and so I've tried all of that. The horse meat tastes like beef, uh, <laughs> and um, skate fish was whoo. That was tough. It was pungent. Oh, uh, yeah, that's such a good word. Let me ask you, there is a <laughs> thing that happens in Western culture, and I'm going to say in America, it is mostly in Western white culture influence, where people talk, they use a word that I find offensive, and that word is elevate. 
when they say it's anything from elevate African-American hairstyles to elevating African-American or Korean or or any Chinese food. There was a situation several years ago where a guy, Andrew Zimran, who was the uh, host on the Food Network, um, started a chain of Chinese restaurants in the Midwest and taught, he used the word elevate as if he was going to make a culture he was not part of, not just palatable to Midwestern culture, but make it better. And these this word is used a lot in non-Western, to refer to non-Western food in a way like we're Western or whitish or whatever, we can make this better. As a person who has lived so many places and is from a culture that is not typically American in the white sense, what does that word mean to you? And people say, I'm going to take this and elevate it. Yeah, that that's a very, um, it's not a good thing to say for multiple reasons. One, it, it does assume as if you're changing something into, it's, it's like telling an artist, we're going to change your street art into fine arts. Yes. Well, it's, it's still all art. And the consumers of art will dictate whether something is fine art or not. And it's extremely subjective. Uh, But when you strip away tradition and heritage and say we're going to elevate or another synonym for that would be transform, (laughs) you might as well well just say transform into something. uh, Because I think we do as, as a multicultural society, you know, we take in bits from different cultures, the English language is an amalgamation of different words from different cultures. So it's a matter of respecting that particular culture. Otherwise, it turns into what folks would say cultural appropriation is when you don't give credit Mm -hmm. to the original culture. Um, I don't think, I think people use cultural appropriation too loosely. Uh, There is some valid critique about using the word cultural appropriation when we naturally borrow from each other but it's how you borrow just like naturally communicate but it's how you communicate it's how you deliver your message uh, that allows people to understand where you're coming from uh it's one reason why i really love anthony bourdain in parts unknown Mm -hmm. anthony bourdain traveled around the world not as this like highbrow white american man that is going to discover this quote-unquote weird off the beaten path absolutely that has this weird and unique food. Anthony Bourdain was like, look, I'm a regular guy who happens to be handsome, (laughs) who happens happens to know his shit, extremely knowledgeable about the geopolitics, about whichever country he's in, understands cuisines, understands food, understands human connection, was a troubled man. So he had the ability to understand grief and pain and sorrow and was knee deep in film production, he understood how to create a product that was appe- that could be appealing to folks from all cultural backgrounds because the product itself was so good. It wasn't uh, condescending. Right, and, and no. So, and yeah. he listened. And it he was listened. different than calling a food weird, which has so many connotations of judgment and presumed elevation and presumed place where you are here and the other thing is there and everything right. is weird it's like that's like a, a eighth grade word that's weird i've never seen it before <laughs> so it's weird you know and bourdain went to places and said tell me about this thing and he would listen he would listen yeah. and he would go to people's homes he would eat food from like big restaurants he would eat food that was cooked in southeast asia on boats he would like listen he would be in dives he would be in a place where he would go they would say here's this lady who like makes this thing from lemongrass in her house and they go to her house and they'd like look at her her lemongrass and look how it's growing and it just there was just such a beautiful respect and I think that part of what I want to talk to you about part of what we're we are talking about and why I thought this was so great for the show is that respect is really what is missing in conversations about culture including food that is not 
the culture that we think. Lynn and I talk about all the time about how every culture has like a thing that's like a pocket, whether it's a pierogi or a dumpling or a wonton. Um, it's it's a thing. Gyoza, right? A gyoza. It was a thing that happened because poor people only had so much. And they said, we got this thing and we put a little tiny bit of meat into it and we fry it or we boil it or we braise it or we whatever. And it's, and now, you know, the foodies, whatever, are coming for it and they go, oh, there's this thing. And they eat it and they go, do, 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 because they don't want to mess up their calorie count. Or other little- types or, or, or different types of protein, like fried and, and dry roasted uh, bugs from Thailand. Yes. Yeah. Like grasshoppers. I've tried those in Chiang Mai. I spent a month in Chiang Mai. <laughs> Chiang Mai oh and uh, they, they're known for their really popular um, uh, streets where a lot of folks are walking through these types of streets and selling different types of products and, and produce and playing live music. And yeah, bugs were the type of street food. Well, and it's funny you were talking about sort of like Western culture seeing some things as oddities. Um, so uh, on Survivor, the CBS uh, juggernaut, and also a little bit on um, Amazing Race that I love, um, they would do, but I'll go to Survivor, they would do these challenges where th- these things are usually filmed somewhere and, you know, in South Asia. It's always in Fiji now. Right. Okay, really. <laughs> And so there's always a challenge, at least there used to be, I don't watch it anymore, where they would have the native foods challenge and you would get more money or whatever advantage, the more you could, you could eat. Is it balut? Like the, the, the chicken, the oh, chicken in the Philippines. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like the stuff, Woo. but, but it's, but it's this whole thing. That's of, a, the, the, like the, the chicken in the utero. Right. Ugh. And it's a, but it's this whole thing of though, <laughs> what are we saying? Are we saying that other food is so weird? You have to give me extra points to even be able to stomach it? Or are they laughing at us? The, at the thing is, the critique can be difficult because we have to understand that even within the country, that we are trying to protect from the Western gaze in terms right, of right, calling right. it weird from yes. as an outsider, that people within the country themselves can also find that same food as weird. Okay. Uh, the only difference is, is that the folks from that particular country has a respect. It's yes. coming from a different place. It's like- It's a different place. Yeah, it's like that food is weird, but we are not weird versus this- Chinese food is weird. If a Westerner says that, we a lot of Westerners would typically say the Chinese are weird. They throw off the entire right. culture, the entire people, um, and I think that's mm. the difference. Well, it's like like we I I have never eaten a chitlin in my life, <laughs> but I respect that as part know, of the culture. And you know what it smells like. We we were raised not. My parents stopped eating red meat when we were like four ish. Five. And yeah. five. And our grandmother, who was from Arkansas, acted as if she'd been stabbed in the heart. And she would our paternal, our, gra- our paternal grandmother, yeah. Our grandmother Streeter, RNL, RAP RNL. And um they would she'd sneak us, try to sneak us meat, and we'd narc on her. And my father said, Listen, if you're gonna keep eating the meat, they can't come stay with you without me. It's like ah. so for the rest of our life, our lives at intersectors, she died when we were 23. We'd like try to take the pineapple off the ham. She go, there's ham juice on there. I can't eat that, <laughs> you know. But it was a whole situation. God bless her, but she passive aggressive queen. Um, but because there was a pride in her heritage, and it felt like a rejection of her heritage, of their heritage. When my father said, "Y'all all dying of heart disease. I don't want to do that. We're not going to do this." And so he was trying to, and he was in his twenties. So he was trying to be something. And she was like heresy heretic heretic witch witch but um there was a whole like it made sense growing up in it where there was we could tell there was like a standoff but my grandparents both were diagnosed with heart disease and so not long before they died like five years ago they started eating like morning surf bomb sausage and stuff because they had to five years they, before they died yeah five years they start eating grillers my fa- my grandfather called them gorillas because he had to he had to um 
But so even that is a culture, the culture of like, you know, vegetarianism or veganism or health food or, or whatever. So, and this is like culture within culture within culture. But when someone from New York decides that chitlins or ribs or dumplings and rice which is are from a part of the country that they consider inferior not as urbane or sophisticated becomes a culture uh lynn tell us about small plate soul food ma'am oh no it's my okay. favorite story all right you're gonna love well, this okay. okay so i believe that so that american uh black american based soul food should be eaten in large quantities in like a vat. Like I want a vat of rice and gravy and I want a vat, I want a large, I want the largest catfish you can find, fry that up and put it on my plate. Mm-hmm. I want a big, a mass, mass of everything, right? So there was a, a local restaurant that um, didn't survive the pandemic and I'm sad about that. Um, but they did small plate soul food. And Which is like jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron. What are we right, doing? Right. <laughs> so, but again, the, the chef had a great respect for it. He had cooked in Southern kitchens. But I remember that we only went there once, my husband and I. <laughs> but there was no there there. You know, like a lot of times when you do small plates, it comes out as it's cooked, right? Mm-hmm. But we ordered, my husband ordered, we ordered cornbread and he ordered bread, beans, and rice because obviously you eat those things together, right? <laughs> well, they brought the bread, beans, and rice out first and then like 20 minutes later brought out the cornbread and it was like, what's that? And it's small portions. And oh. it's small portions. And it's like, again, people were really- Wait, so you didn't like, I mean, portion sizes is a very interesting conversation as well. because and and i'll tell you why oh i'm sorry well well, no no i agree to me uh, i don't know and again and i'm sorry because again i'm 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 a low portion size guy which is why okay i'm I'm judging and reverse what's the thing is that and i and i think this comes from again we talked about uh scarcity right this mindset of like scarcity mindset. mindset and you know, just the the advent of soul food, right? We were talking about earlier is using what you have. Yes. I think that for some of us, we want value for our money. Yes. And the idea of paying $40 for a very small amount of food. That your grandma made for 10 bucks. Right. Seems not, not just as it seems strange, it almost seems like an affront because it's like, I know what this costs to make, right? I don't know. Uh, and, and that's that's so to 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 uh to add to your frustration, it's typically why most Haitian households cook at home. We don't have like a big um like a lot of Haitians don't don't eat out as as often as regular Americans. Like we're used to my mom and my sisters cooking at home. You buy the ingredients, you cook, you eat. Now, the portion sizes are still big uh traditionally still big but you made it and you have enough for tomorrow mm-hmm. you can save exactly. It. Uh, exactly and, and so that and in my experience in east asia the portion sizes were much smaller but they gave mm. you a lot so if you go to korea you have all these small little plates around um and it was obviously much more healthier right and, and so portion sizes are very uh an interesting topic and i played sports my entire life and so i want to make sure that i'm not you know, diving into gluttony. <laughs> I want to be, mm-hmm. I hate feeling like my stomach hurts. I would sure. much rather feel like I have eaten enough to where I can, you know, save the rest later. Uh, but it, but there are certain foods that you have to finish right now because it's so fresh and you right. just have to finish yes. it now. But it's interesting too, the thing about portion size, because then I think about like black grandmas and Italian grandmas making sure that you eat because how much you eat is tied to them loving you but mm. also <laughs> but, but also too it's that so well, you much. didn't like it it's you didn't like it you're not going to eat it it's also a judgment on them that if you yes. like it you're going to continue to eat it but if you only take a little bit 
Um, which is why our grandmother felt that my father's new way of eating was a rejection of her as a rejection of the way she was raised because he was saying, I'm raising my kids differently. Food wise was a rejection of the way that she raised him. Wow. Wow. And it was once again, it's culture and it's race and it's survival and it's the sacrifices we made for you, blah, blah, blah. I'm a former vegan, mostly pescatarian. I eat plant-based 70% of the time. I make my son bacon every morning. (laughs) <laughs> and it's fine because that's what he wants and I'm fine and he's going to eat it and I'm not going to force him to eating something. I mean, if he, if I make it, he has to eat it. If he asks for it, he has to finish most, not all of it, no clean plate club here, but you have to finish most of it. And I don't eat bacon, so I'm not going to finish it. So don't waste my money or my food. I'm a single mom over here. But um, I, I think that I also want him to understand, and this is, so much of what's marginalized cultures is the necessity, you know, that we make beautiful art out of what we have. That when people say, Oh, we're gonna make the soul food restaurant, you know, people who don't who did not grow up in, you know, you got the the rooter and the tutor of the pig and everything else you had to sell or give away, or it wasn't given to you in slavery or sharecoppery or whatever. And so you made a beautiful art out of that thing. Um, and that yes, that was a boomerang reference from tutor. Um, there also is the sense of just not just when mothers and fathers came and said, We're gonna give you the stuff that we have, they're like, We're also gonna make it good. We're also mm-hmm. gonna make it not just nourishing, we're gonna like if we can find some spices, we're gonna put some spices in it and we're gonna like braise that meat till it's fallen off the bone <laughs> and you know we're gonna like make this as nourishing and beautiful so here's a very quick story so when our father died in 2012 yeah. in, Ar- in arkansas uh, my mother was finishing her master's degree in nursing and sam and my husband scott and lynn and her husband ac um and alex her son who was like that big um were down at the house and nikki uh, sam's wife and so we were like open the door all day going, hi, people bring over food. Hello, black people. Here's more food. So this lady knocks on the door from their church. Don't know her. She's very sweet. She goes, I'm sister so-and-so. And she presents me very proudly. This is a pork butt. Now, I have no idea what that means. I'm vegetarian. I've never eaten pork, really. I have like nibbled on some stuff for food stories. I'm like, whatever. I go, thank you. And she goes, no, it's a pork butt. And I go, great. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Goodbye. And she was expecting a bigger response. And it's so funny because two of the people in the story are here on this phone call. So I I close the door and I go, and there, someone sticks their head out of a door upstairs and goes, is there new food? I go, yeah, it's, I don't know, a pork butt. And suddenly everybody starts running out of steps, running out of steps. And they're like, Sam, and my husband are like, getting the knives and like pulling the, the all the stuff out of the thing like ah, it's pork butt and like oh it's a thing so i call my i call my mother and i said i think i insulted a lady that you know because obviously this is a big deal yeah yeah i don't know that pork butt it's a it's the fattiest part and it takes forever to cook and it's it's an effort it's a, i mean the, the, the cubans in miami do it um uh, in Haitian culture, obviously Haiti's right by Cuba. We have yep. Julio, which is uh, one of our national discs, which is basically like braised pork. Um, for for us, beef is a pretty big deal. Uh, we have a, a a beef stew called bouillon pied bœuf, which is a mm. uh, uh, beef stew with cow feet. What? That sounds yummy. Honestly, I just really want to stick soft. bread in that. The texture is absolutely but I love the philosophy behind food and and how people have their own not only traditional convictions but their religious convictions yes you consider muslims don't Mm. eat pork for their own philosophical and religious belief uh i think some parts of india don't eat beef don't eat cow and they do not have a full cow walking down a village and they won't touch it and so can you imagine how they're viewing us americans the caribbean all latin america when it comes to pork and cows they're just like cut it up i mean we, we, we are we we are seen as like animalistic like hunter gatherers mm-hmm. to some extent to, to some of these folks 
we moved. I don't know if you know this about us. Lynn and I lived in Saudi Arabia from in sixth and seventh grades, and we lived in an American compound, so it was whatever. But they had what the Americans very rudely called a goat grab, which was ugh, Americans. I'm sorry, which was the cooking the goat on the spit. So there was one night that in the compound out by the pool, they had a whole goat ra- roasted on the thing, and it would have been more respectful if they hadn't presented it as weird. They were like, oh, it's weird. Do the kids want to see it? It's no, weird. It's so, so it's like, good. I remember like coming by the pool and I, I have tasted goat. I mean, eat red meat usually, but I've tasted goat and it's delicious. And I wish I had tried it then. Cause it's like, oh, here we go. We're like, oh no, it's a goat. And you see the head. Like we like literally dissected goat heads rather than, than frogs or whatever in class because that's what you had it was easy go to the butcher at the souk and go goat head they go great and they give you the goat head um but once again it was presented as weird it was presented as like an other thing and like the dads were like oh grabbing the goat whatever i wish that i had experienced that in my 20s or 30s i've been like is there bread with it (laughs) let's grab a goat grab Uh, a goat is great lamb is good uh, I, I think also how we are introduced to food is also very different. Yes. Like when you, yes. like my first time, my first international trip was to Haiti. I was nine years old. I also went when I was 13. And my mom, you know, she said, I didn't want my son to be, you know, born American and not go visit my home country and see and, mm. and understand who I am as, as a person, as a human being. And so that was my first trip as a kid. And I saw my grandmother, you know, rip the head of a chicken and, you know, and, and prepare it. That, I mean, it's, but for us, we're used to going to Publix or any other grocery store Absolutely. to getting our food that's well-made, but there's a process, there's a human process that goes with that. It's no different from going hunting. I think people Absolutely. do have, an, you know, affinity against, um, guns understandably so especially in metropolitan centers where you don't need you know rifles but like if you're living in a rural area and you're going hunting for anyone who's ever gone hunting knows how not only thrilling it is but it does feel like you're a human being hunting for your food and you're preparing it in the most traditional way possible um versus betting that a grocery chain is not pumping your meat with all sorts of different products that you're unaware. Say that. And, and Say that. you know, it's really hard to sort of reconcile with the fact that we do rely on our conveniences to make our lives much easier. And then we forget that there is a human side that we sort of cast away. And to your point, Leslie, view as weird because we're it's just not in our psyche anymore. We are conditioned to think otherwise. We're conditioned. And I think right now that food is so high and we're understanding that it's not I'm gonna don't be political. It's not the government. It's the fact that food manufacturers are artificially inflating the food. I read something a day that said they are taking. They started with taking five less Doritos from a bag, and they're charging the same amount of money for those five less Doritos. And I am a Dorito aficionado, so I I can feel it. I feel that you are cheating me out. I I miss. Every <laughs> single cheesy, crispy, terrible triangle of fat. I know it. So this is what's happening. And so the, like Lynn was saying before, that there's a, a whole, like, the economy of it and the, the budget of it and the what is a delicacy and what is a, what is an ordinary thing, what is a thing that is treasured. Like, we used to go to, there's a restaurant chain called The Chart House. And the one in Annapolis for 25 years or so, we've been going to our family situations and we were in our twenties and had no money. We would save money to go to father's day to go to the buffet because they had caviar on the buffet. And we tried not to be tacky. We were so tacky. We were like, oh, take a look at here. But like my favorite sushi is Ikura, which is the salmon row, which is a big old red pearly whatever and my son goes what is that and i go it's fish eggs he's like what i'm (laughs) like you eat pork everything this is just a different thing it's not weird it's not wrong it's Uh just 
I had to explain that to my mom. She she visited me in Korea in 2013 and she tried sushi for the first time. Oh, and wow. I was explaining to her, I was like, yeah, this is this is raw fish. She could not get past the word raw. <laughs> she was like, wait, so they didn't cook it? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they No fire? No, like what? Well, you no know, seasoning? <laughs> no seasoning. But what's so funny too is that for so long, uh, 80s and early 90s right with some people sushi i'm doing air quotes was synonymous with highbrow things that that highbrow people eat right it was oh, it's like sushi yeah. and you do yoga and you know what i'm saying it was like it's the thing that dominant cultures do when they and there was a well there was a Columbus thing well yeah hold on get right exactly when they don't want to respect something it's either they take it over or they decide that it's bad and that you're you're bad or something's wrong with you you're pretentious if you do it it's one way or the other it's either pretentious or it's trash they go no one does no one eats sushi anymore and the the Japanese are like oh what By the way, my mom ended up eating it for sure, and she loved it. She absolutely loved it. Um, is, is Sam like Sam? Are you just the producer, or or do you also contribute to the dialogue? I when when I contribute, it tends to get slightly contentious. Why? But I will say so. I am in the and everybody's cheering. Okay, fine. I live in Central Texas, the bastion of small-minded, weird, stupid things, <laughs> except for food. Um. So sushi, since I moved here 25 plus years ago, has always been a staple of, and that's, I live in Austin, which, you know, okay, hippy dippy, but anywhere in, in, in Texas, sushi is a thing because we expect meat to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. That's why Texas barbecue, Texans are justifiably proud of our barbecue because we don't need to put anything on it. You cook the meat right, it tastes great. You're done. If you, be, you can't cook your meat right, then you put a sauce on it and cover yeah. it up that's fine which okay i'm 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 presenting the 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 underlying thesis but uh so it's kind of a it's its own sort of chauvinistic pride in process um and honestly a texan will cook anything that's why brisket is such a big thing in texas because originally yeah. it cost Brisket's nothing because so nobody wanted to eat it right but then you figure out texans can slow cook anything and make it palatable and all of a sudden it's a thing yeah yeah now brisket is expensive and i hate beautiful that. Mm-hmm. and it, it, there's a thing that happens every once in a while on um on twitter where someone will go like oxtail has been columbus oh. and everyone's like which means it's discovered by people outside because oxtail was supposed to be cheap it's oxtail it's like thirty dollars now, man. Yeah, and people like some of them go to the Mexican market here. Jamaicans are pissed. Jamaicans, Jamaicans are pissed. They'll Jama- be- Jamaicans are pissed. They'll say like oxtail will limit your sperm count. Never eat it. Oxtail will kill you and your eyelashes will fall out. And there's a I forget it was somebody who had a there for a while their handle was make oxtail cheap again because it was like stop it because it's oxtail um you know i have a very close friend who's jamaican and we went to we've been to jamaica twice with her and i've discovered food i've never heard of like ackee and saltfish and we're like what is this and because she her family had been going to this resort as a timeshare for years the jamaicans we had like a a villa with like a maid and a cook we're like what is going on it ruined my child but um where they knew that they could make them this food because they were Jamaican because they've been going there for years. So it's like, oh, it's it's Shelly and and whoever and her family. And so they knew that they could make them this food and they weren't going to be like typical Americans who went, what is this? This is weird. And they could just like make all the food. So we were with them. They're like, you want the Jamaican breakfast? I'm like, as long as it, I'm allergic to shrimp. I'm like, as long as there's no shrimp in it, bring it. I don't care. You know, it's one of the reasons that I have not been to Southeast Asia because I want to go and eat at the markets, but so much of the stuff has shrimp in it. I'm so afraid of, uh, of throwing up the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be that are... American going, excuse me, do you have <laughs> shrimp in this? Uh, you, you, so, you need a you need yeah. a fixer. You need someone who's from that 
country who can tell you what to eat, what not to eat. It's it's you know, I, I wouldn't um I, I wouldn't stop yourself from going. Just get someone who are from that area I and want to go, they man. Yeah, who yeah, who could just go, don't eat that, don't eat that. Cause I just want to eat all the things. I would like suspend my vegetarianism for that <laughs> moment just to go, just give me what the thing that you have that's not gonna kill me, give that to me. Sam got me drooling about briskets right now. Like as soon as he said it, my my whole left side of my face. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go worse for you. Oxtail right now, I get it. Fiesta market for three twelve a pound. Uh, what? Oh, I just double checked, goodness. but yes, you can. Woo. Not always that cheap, and in the big chains, it's not. But I mean, Florida has like the biggest populations of cultures outside of their countries. So, for example, you have. The, the largest populations of Haitians outside of Haiti, the largest population mm -hmm. of Jamaicans outside of Jamaica, Venezuela's outside of Venezuela, also Cubans outside of Cuba. And Finnish so people, which is weird, but it's true. Oh, yeah. Finnish yeah, right here in Lake Worth. I did a big yep. story on, on, on the Finnish community. Um, and, and so it, like food is, is so fascinating. And I love the um, sometimes I, I love the the back and forth. It, it's it's fodder for social media. <laughs> yep. uh, and, and especially for i don't have any allergies at least i don't think i have any allergies but i also but i tend to get <laughs> um or allergic reactions to any type of food i also one thing that i don't like and it's probably gonna shock you uh -oh. is chocolate what? i don't i don't kit kat bars snickers m&ms i can't eat chocolate but I can eat the most ridiculous delicacy you can think of. And chocolate is my kryptonite. But once again, that is typed as a quote unquote American thing. Like the whole thing, like, you know, American GIs that like, you know, um, they give the girls like pantyhose and chocolate. Cause that was like the thing that was an American <laughs> thing that, you know, you could not get. Um, I am not a big, I like dark, I like weird, bitter chocolate. I'm much more a savory person. I like mm. caramel and pral pralines and that kind of situation. Um, that's what I'm into. As we start to to wrap up, I just want to say this has been wonderful. Once again, such a a wonderful conversation because it's been about perception, and it's been about culture and about love and about the fact that the word weird is really I think about fear. I think it's about fear of unknown things. Lynn, you look like you want to say something. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking in my brain about, you know, places that I've gone. We, we don't, neither of us eat chicken anymore. But the shawarma in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, was the, we have a, they had chicken shawarma. I've never had anything else like it. And the first time I came to, I went to a Middle Eastern restaurant in the States where they had shawarma, it was good, but it wasn't the way I remembered it from a street vendor and they had wrapped it in a pita and it had like a pickle. Like, I don't even know what it was. I can't there, even think it was so delicious. There and was I've, a place. I've been chasing that. I've been chasing that. <laughs> when, since years. we were little girls, we would walk down from our apartment and walk down the, um, down the street in the block of where we were. And they were the spit. They'd have chicken and lamb on a spit and yeah. in, in the convenience store, it was like the equivalent of like a rotisserie chicken or like, here in Baltimore, like a chicken box or whatever, you know, you'd go in and they had the big knife and they'd slap you off the, they carve you <laughs> off the thing right. called knives and like stick it in the tahini sauce or whatever. And it was just, it was the juices were dripping. I mean, that cow or the chicken had been alive like earlier that day, probably. <laughs> and I had never, I had never seen that and experienced it was like a sensuality and not in like a sexual way, but the senses, like the every sense in your body was like the texture and the sounds of the the knife and everything was so a part of this bite that you were about to taste. Mm. Yeah. And they're looking at us like, okay, little American girls. And we're like, ah, <laughs> what? The, it was the, the, the cultural experience tastes just as good. I, I, for, for me, like uh, one food that I really want to try uh, very soon, 
Um, and this is random. I want to try alligator. I'm from Florida. You've never had alligator? alligator? I've never had alligator, and I want to try iguana. Oh. There are some there are some there are some folks from the Caribbean who love iguana. Um, and my favorite type of food that I want to eat again very very soon is Ethiopian food. Ethiopian oh. food, Turkish food. Um oh, I love yeah, Ethiopian so food. Those are my yeah. <laughs> Did you go with us that time we went to that um Ethiopian restaurant in West Palm with uh, Samantha? Yes. I don't like think we I had went a, with a you, dinner. But... Oh man. And we just were like, <laughs> you know, the, the staff of the Palm Beach Post, the cultural staff had a dinner where we just went and sat there like, give us food, please. And they like handed us lots and lots of food. Um, <laughs> and we went, okay, it's a great Rikita's food. Um, but it just, and Ethiopian food is its own cultural experience because it's communal. Right. You know, that you're tearing off the injera and, you know, you're dipping into the thing. And it's just, it's such a beautiful moment. Because I think that- You're as eating we were, the same plate. You're breaking you bread know, in the same plate. And food is so much about abundance or lack of abundance, depending on what you have. But you put it all together and you make it a moment. Um, It's beautiful. So normally we ask at the end of the episode- um. If the thing that we talked about is a guilty pleasure or if it's cheesy or whatever, and if it, you thought it was in the beginning, do you consider it that? I think I probably can can predict your answer. Uh, so I don't really have anything that I considered as cheesy because I am nomadic. I'm one of those dudes who will try it. Uh, and it depends on how I feel that day. Uh, uh, again, chocolate is my only kryptonite. It is extremely <laughs> difficult for me to try chocolate. Uh, the, the mere smell of it turns me off. In fact, I've met probably six or seven people in my lifetime who don't like chocolate and we've all high-fived each other because we've been bullied <laughs> for not liking chocolate all right now the only the closest thing to chocolate that i can eat is ice cream sandwiches for some reason the mm. top tastes like a like a fudge it doesn't take i don't know the the vanilla ice cream perhaps overtakes the overtakes the taste of the quote-unquote chocolate well, I, I don't it's know. a texture there's a t- texture, texture of thing. that the waffle cookie yeah, thing. Yeah, it's not really chocolate chocolate. And it's almost reason. all big brick of vanilla ice cream. So. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's probably the only exception to the rule for me. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, 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 I am down for anything uh, pretty much. That's amazing. So, Wilkin, where can people find you? Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Wilkin Brutus on Twitter, all social media platforms. And I'm also lost launching a multi-platform media company called Maps and Diaries. Be on the lookout uh, where I do want to p- start producing some cross-cultural content similar to this. Uh, discussing culture, society, and the way in which it shapes us all. This has been so fun. And like I said, I, I'm going to immediately go make that corn pudding um and and see what what comes of it um thank you better you save s- me some oh you know what thank you so much wilkin um thank you so much producer sam uh lynn had to jet but uh thank you guys so much and as we always say keep it breezy keep it easy keep it cheesy later what love